Hello and welcome to Altamar. I'm Peter Schechter. And I'm Muni Jensen, and today we will focus on Venezuela. But we're going to talk beyond Maduro. So much has been written, said, discussed about the political situation in this Latin American country, neighbor of my home, Colombia. It seems like there is a news article, op-ed, think tank event, conference or interview every day, all of them focusing on Nicolás Maduro, who's gripped on this country, has torn the country to shred, which is worrying and frustrating, but we're not going to discuss politics today. Enough of that. We're going to talk about something else. Right, Mooney. Today, we really want to talk about people, about the citizens of Venezuela who are leaving in droves, creating the fastest, worst, and least publicized refugee crisis in the world. At the present pace, in two years, the Venezuela refugee crisis will become worse than that of Syria of a few years ago. And we have a great guest, David Smolansky, who's a Venezuelan journalist, politician, activist, who's going to join us later today. And David is the coordinator of the Working Group for Venezuelan Migrant and Refugee Flows at the Organization of American States. So, Peter, the cause for this mass refugee exodus are not recent. They come from years of devastating command, control, economic policies, and great corruption that eviscerated the country's economy. Venezuela's economy has shrunk by 50% under Maduro. The International Monetary Fund forecast inflation to hit a staggering 10 million percent. So how can you even measure that by the end of the year? The construction sector has collapsed by 95% in the past five years, and manufacturing has fallen an estimate, estimated 75%. Uh, talking to Venezuelans that those numbers even seem conservative. Most importantly, oil production, which has been the livelihood of this country and accounts for about 98% of economic revenue, is at its lowest level since the 1940s, and it's steadily plummeting from the nearly 3 million barrels at the beginning of Maduro's reign to, it's hard to calculate, but definitely less than 1 million barrels today. Much of the oil bonanza in the past decade and a half was uh, lost to massive corruption, 80 billion estimated stolen by the Maduro regime alone, according to the OAS. And Venezuela has been transformed into a land of massive hunger and sickness. It used to be a very rich country. Now 90% of the population are living below the poverty line. More than half the families are not able to meet basic food needs and an 85% shortage of medicine is now what the numbers seem to point to. Mooney, the result is exodus. Exodus at all costs. Exodus, a desperate, desperate exodus. And we're in the midst of witnessing what is going to be the largest refugee crisis in the world's history. Four million Venezolanos have left in the last five years, one million in the past eight months, 1.5 million to Colombia, almost a million to Peru, half a million to Chile and Ecuador. International assistance is dwindling. The money from private, public, and multilateral institutions are just not coming in. It's so infuriating. Why isn't anybody listening to this? Has too much attention been paid to the politics and not enough to the humanitarian tragedy? The answer is yes. And I say this, Peter, as a Colombian, and I can talk about the impact on neighboring countries. Colombia has had an open arms policy to Venezuela, but every day the social and economic and political structures of host countries like Colombia are struggling and buckling. There's no way to absorb that amount of immigrants at that rate. And what's understood is that 
eventually, and the you know economics point to migration patterns eventually contributing to GDP. In this case, host countries of Venezuelan refugees are facing a lot more pain than opportunity. None of them can absorb, withstand more refugees. Migrants of a year or so were different. They came with some means, a reasonable level of education, some sort of a plan, a plan to return to their country. Today, they're increasingly sicker, hungrier, poorer, more desperate, and definitely not coming back. We've seen in Colombia and other countries diseases like tuberculosis, AIDS, syphilis, they're rampant. There is no medical system to absorb all of these uh, new diseases and the contagion that they produce. And the previously, or up until now, open arms of Colombians, Chileans, Ecuadorians, and Brazilians are really starting to close in some way, understandably, as behind every new Venezuelan arrival, there's a different challenge, a different risk, a different uncertainty that countries that in themselves have, you know, significant struggles of their own. Muni, what you just described, I saw with my very own eyes when I was in Bogota a few months ago. You know, in Colombia, the sheer number of Venezuelans on the streets of every major city is heartbreaking, but it's also now, after two years of being welcomed and being helped, it's also now creating hostility. And, and having seen it, I can understand the results of a recent Gallup poll that highlights those changes in attitudes in which 55% of Colombians are against an open-door policy. And as jobs and security, healthcare, food are threatened, the concerns rise about competition, contagion, crime, and the numbers are not abating, nor is the situation on the ground improving in Venezuela. Quite the contrary. And so these refugees just continue to pour across the border. And, and not enough light has been shed on this refugee crisis. The politics of Venezuela are intoxicating. And all the attention, all the news energy is on Maduro's vulnerability, the opposition's chaos, the corruption of the government, the Cuban influence, Russian soldiers, U.S. sanctions, Marco Rubio's daily tweeting. Enough. It's time that we need to pay attention to this refugee crisis. And, you know, I'm just reminded that, you know, my friend at the Wilson Center, Cynthia Arnson, summarized it best. International assistance to Syrian refugees amounted to about $3,000 per person. The amount in Venezuela is 100 to $200 at the most. It's an eye-opening piece by Cindy Arnson and foreign policy that definitely people should read to look at this humanitarian angle. And I wonder, you know, what is stopping the world? We can definitely see it as Colombians. Everyone who travels to a neighboring country sees it, the Venezuelan exodus as a global refugee crisis. But it seems that the world it has not paid attention. They've picked up on a lot of the political story, but have not realized that neighbors have picked up the slack for the past few years. And that might even be a cause of the lack of awareness. That the open-door policy, the fact that Venezuelans look like everywhere that they're migrating to, they have the same religion, the same you know, habits and, and the same culture. And so this, this crisis doesn't really have a strong voice on behalf of the refugees. And so to answer these questions and talk a little bit about the, this crisis and what the international community can do, we have David Smolansky in the studio. And Smolansky is currently, as Peter mentioned, the chair of the working group for on Venezuelan migration and refugee crisis at the Organization of American States. 
He's also a journalist from the Universidad Católica Bello and has an MA in political science from Universidad Simón Bolívar. And Smolansky was a student leader, having co-founded the Venezuelan student movement in 2007, leading nonviolent protests against former President Hugo Chávez. And he also co-founded a political party, Voluntad Popular, which is one of the main opposition parties in Venezuela. Thank you so much, David, for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure. So, David, let's start with the numbers. We've mentioned some of them before. The forecast numbers of the Venezuelan exodus are staggering. What is your analysis of how this crisis could expand and where the potential fallout would lead? What are we talking about in terms of sheer size? Well, as we speak, uh, uh, there are 4.2 million Venezuelan migrants and refugees. This is the largest migration and refugee crisis in the history of Latin America and is the second largest in the world uh, only behind uh, Syria. If the humanitarian crisis continues in Venezuela and if the dictatorship continues in Venezuela, we could see more than 5 million Venezuelan migrants and refugees by the end of this year, and which is worse, we could see more than 6 million Venezuelan migrants and refugees by 2020 that would put Venezuela at the same level or even worse uh, than, than Syria. I have to say that uh, Colombia is the country with more Venezuelan migrants and refugees with 1.5 million and then Peru with 850,000. Uh, David, one of the things which really just astounds me of this Venezuelan refugee crisis is the fact of how many people are just not aware of this. I mean, somehow it seemed like Syria's crisis mobilized the world. And the Venezuelan crisis seems to be sort of going going along without anybody noticing. And, and what can be done to raise global awareness? And why isn't what happened in Syria happening with Venezuelans? Well, that's a very important question. Uh, actually, almost a month ago, I presented uh, our report at the General Assembly of the Organization of American States, which is the most important annual event. I had the opportunity to present that with the Secretary General Luis Almagro, but also with different uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the region, Ministry of Foreign Affairs from Colombia, Peru, Ecuador, and other vice uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And all of us uh, agree that uh, uh, this crisis, uh, for some reason, has not had a, a global interpretation. Uh, some sees uh, this Venezuelan migration refugee crisis as a regional problem, or even worse, as a sub-regional problem, let's say something in South America. But uh, the key here to, to have more help is to have um, a, a global interpretation of this uh, crisis for, for different reasons. There has been consequences on, on healthcare, on, on education, on, on documentation. And, and as I said before, I mean, it's the largest refugee crisis in the history of Latin America and the Caribbean, and Caribbean as we speak, is the second largest uh, in the world. So, so we need uh, uh, more countries to, to get involved in this crisis and not only to support migrants and refugees, but to support the receiving countries that lack of uh, infrastructure and, and basic services to attend, protect and integrate so many uh, Venezuelans that are landing to these countries in a very vulnerable situation. Do you think it's like somehow the generosity of some of the receiving countries, Colombia, Peru, Chile, others, 
in a way they didn't need they felt at the beginning that they didn't have to call the world's attention and they were generous but now they're being overwhelmed feel that in a way it was the generosity of these countries that now has boomeranged and now because nobody took notice at the beginning that's all that's also an important question i think uh, the problem uh, with venezuela during these 20 years during these 20 years is that uh, a lot of uh, countries and multilaterals have uh, underestimated our crisis uh, and this not began with maduro this began with hugo chavez where a lot of governments in the world saw chavez as a democratic leader and, and, and since he won 20 years ago our democracy was uh, in risk so uh, everyone had a had an opinion of Venezuela that it was a very stable democracy a booming economy such a great country which it was unfortunately I'm a part of a generation that didn't see that country and no one saw this coming no one saw that Venezuela is having the worst humanitarian crisis that, that any Latin American country has ever uh, suffered. No one saw more than 4 million Venezuelan migrants are refugees. No one saw that we could get an economy of more than 10 million percent. Uh, sorry, uh, uh, inflation uh, of more than 10 million percent on the economy. No one saw a country with the largest oil reserve of the world producing uh, less than 1 million barrels. But that's what we're having now. Because we're not facing a conventional dictatorship, we're, we're facing a criminal state, a mafia state. So they don't care if, if, if from 4 million we go to 6 million, to 8 million or 10 million people uh, uh, as a refugee. So uh, uh, yes, Latin American countries have been uh, uh, very generous, but at the same time, in the last month, they have started to put some restrictions for our migrants or refugees, which in my opinion is not a good idea because this will not solve the problem. And for example, countries like Colombia, that has not put uh, any restriction on migration, it will, uh, it will create for them more uh, uh, problems. And it is the time, it is right now the time for all the international community to give uh, to this crisis a global interpretation and provide more support to not only Venezuela migrants or refugees, but to receiving countries. We need support on healthcare, we need support on education, we need support on, on, on security and infrastructure. With a rearview mirror in your hand, uh, do you think that the global focus on politics and regime change and, you know, Maduro as a character and trying to find an alternative to Maduro has eclipsed the sheer size and scope of the humanitarian crisis? Should the narrative now change and move away from focusing on the world's attention to Maduro and his tyrannical tactics and just uh, try to raise, you know, obviously humanitarian aid, but also international attention on the refugee crisis? Well, first of all, uh, uh, the best solution for this migration and refugee crisis is the fall of the dictatorship in Venezuela. It is the fall of this criminal and mafia state. That's the best solution. If, uh, if, if the dictatorship ends, uh, it would decrease significant, significantly the number of migration, the number of migrants and refugees, and it will create incentives for those millions that are abroad uh, to go back. So the sooner Venezuela restores democracy, not only the better for Venezuelans, but the better uh, for the region. The longer uh, the dictatorship, the worse for for, for the region. So I don't think uh, I, I don't think that one thing uh, excludes uh, another one. I think we have to do uh, both at the same time. We need to work really hard 
on diplomatic ways to, to restore democracy in Venezuela as soon as possible and at the same time protect the migrants and, and, and refugees. Why uh, uh, we have to do both at the same time? Because this migration refugee crisis has not been caused by a war, by a natural catastrophe, like what happened in Syria or what happened, I don't know, in some Central American countries uh, 20 years ago. I mean, this is something that has been done by, 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 a, by a very cruel and perverse system. It's a man-made disaster. Let me ask you about some of the international institutions that are working on this issue, including the one that you're working for. But the World Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank, the International Monetary Fund, the United Nations, the Organization of American States, I mean, these are international institutions that are uh, supposed to be protecting refugees, like the refugees that are spread all around Latin America and supposed to be funneling money to host countries to make sure those refugees have as best a life as possible. Are, are those organizations doing enough? And what more needs to be done? I'm going to talk on behalf of the Organization of American States. It's difficult to find a multilateral in recent years that had done more than the Organization of American States to restore democracy and freedom in Venezuela. Uh, this is, uh, this is a, a work that has been led by Secretary General uh, Luis Almagro and, and, and I have to, re to remind that Organization of American State is a, is, is a political organization. So in our case, we do not provide uh, funds. Uh, that's very limited. Our, our mission is to, is to uh, promote uh, democracy, security uh, and, and, and human rights and of course that includes the migrants and refugees. So in my case, I've been creating awareness uh, through the region and, and beyond the region about uh, this crisis. And, and we've been trying to promote the best policies to uh, protect uh, uh, migrants and, and refugees. And just to give you an example, in our last report, uh, something that has been uh, discussed uh, in different places after we presented is we made a comparison how much uh, money the international community has provided to other refugee crises uh, uh, compared with Venezuela. For example, on the on Syrian crisis, the international community has provided almost uh, $33 billion. On the case of South Sudan, the international community has provided almost $10 billion. And South Sudan has cost 2.5 million refugees, which is less than Venezuela. In the case of Venezuela, the international community has not even it has not been able to provide five hundred million dollars. That's something that, that, that it to create an awareness for international the World Bank, for the IDB, and for the United Nations. The United Nations launched a, a plan at the beginning of the year of seven hundred thirty eight million dollars, and they have been able to achieve only twenty five percent of that goal. And we are already about to end July, so. Uh, it is an opportunity for those multilaterals to do more, but they cannot do it alone. I mean, we need the help of the governments and governments not only from, from the region. I think uh, the European Union could help uh, a lot of these because they have had a, a lot of experience recently with so many migrants for, from the Middle East and Africa. But David, let, so let me, let me be blunt. Why isn't the raising of awareness working with 
institutions that do give money? Why isn't the European Union giving more? Why isn't the World Bank doing more? The Inter-American Development Bank? I know, I know I'm putting you in a difficult position as, as a, I think this is an important point that people ought to be discussing openly. Where's the blockage? Well, the World Bank and the IDB, I have had meetings with them. We share meetings together on what they, they, they call keto meetings. And they, they are doing what they can with limited resources. But I think, as I said, we need to get more involved governments, specifically governments from the European Union. That's, that's what, that's what, that was my call on the report. We need to get to this crisis a global interpretation. Why it's not like that, uh, it's very difficult to, to give you one answer. But I think no one, literally no one saw uh, this coming in, in, in Venezuela. And now we're, we're paying the, the, the consequences. Venezuela is the main example of a modern dictatorship, a, a guy uh, that used uh, democracy to destroy democracy. That's what happened in, in Venezuela. We have gone from a conventional dictatorship to a mafia state and criminal state. So. We need the international community not only supporting our migrants and refugees to protect them and integrate them, but at the same time we need the international community uh, more active on, 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 on restore democracy and freedom in Venezuela and even go beyond diplomacy if it's necessary. What are the most, getting back to the refugees, we want to really make sure we tell the story of the refugees. What are their more pressing challenges and what do they need the most at this time? Well, the main challenges are first um, the documentation. More than two million Venezuelan migrants and refugees out of the 4.2 uh, are irregular, were about to be irregular. So that's a huge uh, challenge. Then is healthcare. Uh, at least uh, 25% of the Venezuelan migrants and refugees uh, uh, suffer, are about to suffer of, of malnutrition. Third, security specifically on the border between Colombia and Venezuela and, and Venezuela and the Caribbean, Venezuela and Brazil, where there are so many uh, irregular groups that are recruiting Venezuelans, especially, especially under age of 18, and those teenagers are vulnerable to become part of uh, criminal uh, organizations and also being part of the criminal economy, specifically the drug trafficking, illegal mining and smuggling. Fourth, uh, there are so many babies that were born in countries that do not give them the, automatically the, their nationality, like Colombia or Curaçao, and, and among others. So we need a change of legislation. I know Colombia is promoting a new law to protect those babies and give them Colombian uh, nationality. So that's, uh, in a nutshell, the main challenges that that uh, that migrants are facing. And that is why, and sorry to, to add this, that is why we're proposing from the Organization of American States that Venezuelans should be uh, treated as refugees. Uh, unfortunately, Venezuela, Venezuelan, Venezuelans, migrants and refugees have not been given the status of refugees. And in my opinion, that makes the things more complicated. Is there any instrument within the UN that can deploy a coordinated amount of aid to neighboring countries enough that could really make a difference? I know it's been really hard to get things out of this National Security Council with regard to regime change, but the UN as, an, as a humanitarian organization, I'm sure, is, is, is one of the stakeholders that, that need to be deployed. And is the political message, which is uh, creating division within the UN, becoming an obstacle to the distribution of humanitarian aid? Well, the United Nations are doing an important efforts in the region 
to help Venezuelan migrants and refugees, specifically through agencies like uh, the UNHCR, the IOM, the World Food Program. So uh, they have provided uh, to hundreds of thousands of migrants and refugees uh, food, uh, infrastructure, also uh, education, uh, points of access of information and, 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 and communications. But as I said before, I mean, this is, this is a huge crisis and, and they cannot do that by themselves and they need more help. They have been able to achieve only 25% of, of the funds that they announced at the beginning of the year that they need to help Venezuela migrants and, and refugees. David, you, you spoke eloquently about, uh, in particular, you think that the EU and needs to do more and that Europe has been mostly silent on these issues. Let's talk a little bit about the United States. United States sanctions on Venezuela have been widely applauded as forceful, forceful moves, clear moves. And you know, there's some critics that say that those sanctions have a you know, negative human impact on civilians. I'm also, and I'd like you to comment on that, but I also wonder about the administration's refusal to grant Venezuelan citizens temporary protected status here in the United States. It just seems a little bit like uh, talking with the left hand and talking with the right hand. On the one hand, there's this forceful actions on Venezuela, but there's no help to Venezuelan citizens who are coming to the United States. Well, there are many, many important topics uh, to answer this question. First of all, the main donor for Venezuela migrants and refugees through different agencies, including the United Nations, is the United States. The donation that the, the United States uh, have given, it's uh, far more than uh, other countries. I have to say this with responsibility. Second, the TPS last week was approved by Congress. I think it's uh, been an important effort from the Venezuelan diaspora in the U.S., and the interim government that has maintained this crisis bipartisan. So it was approved by the vote of congressmen and congresswomen from both parties. And now, well, that's got to be discussed at the, at, the, at the Senate. And we're optimistic that we could have a positive result at the Senate. And third, it is a myth. Uh, and that, that thing, that propaganda that has been created, that uh, all, the situ that all the crisis that we're facing in Venezuela is because of the sanctions. I mean, the humanitarian crisis in Venezuela started uh, since 2014. So before uh, the sanctions that were implemented by, by the U.S. administration uh, this year. And I have to say, by the way, that the vast majority of the sanctions that the U.S. administration has uh, implemented uh, regarding Venezuela has been individual sanctions. So it has been against specific people that are involved in drug trafficking, corruption, in money laundering, or human rights uh, uh, violations. So uh, the, what the crisis that we're having in Venezuela is because of, 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 of the regime that we have had for, for 20 years, a regime that uh, uh, allegedly has robbed more than $250 billion. Uh, so uh, through corruption, now the country uh, is having... Uh, as I said, 10 million percent of hyperinflation. There's no food, there's no medicine because everything has been uh, robbed. Uh, the, the, the private sector has been uh, uh, destroyed. So for a lot of Venezuelans, the only option is to, is to flee and try to find opportunities uh, or even a breakfast, like I've seen so many times in, in, in Colombia. Just people are fleeing just to have something to eat because they don't find any in Venezuela. So it's not true that the sanctions has uh, caused uh, 
David Smolansky, a leading voice on refugees and migrations out of Venezuela. We wish you well. Thank you so much for joining us on Altamar. Thank you so much for having me. Peter, I think efforts such as David Smolansky's are, are really impressive, but I, I'm still left with a frustrating feeling of how with all of the best intentions in the world, most of these organizations are focusing on the political message. That's the message that's getting across. It's creating divisions with countries that definitely have not expressed enough support for the Venezuelan situation. And it's taking, really eclipsing, taking the attention away from the human tragedy that is happening in Venezuela and the implication it's having not only on health and security, but really on geopolitics in the rest of the country. So I'm wondering whether the humanitarian story has not been told loud enough because it's being, you know, silenced with the, all the noise of the political message that's coming, which is important, but it's certainly not working. Well, that's the key point. That's the key point. You know, David Smolansky makes the argument that it shouldn't be one thing or the other, it should be both things. But the fact is that because it's both things, the one message is completely eclipsed and, and has disallowed somehow money to flow. I mean, I know that there's lots of fantastic programs being created in many of these organizations to prepare for the time when a new regime takes over so that the world comes quickly to the help of a new Venezuela. Well, the problem is that that time's not happening. And meanwhile, four, five next at the end of this year, six at the end of next year, million people are wandering around the hemisphere being helped minimally. And, and that's the way we have to say it, being helped minimally when compared to other refugee flows. I mean, you think he made a great argument about how much the Syrian refugees got, how much the South Sudan refugees have received, and yet these refugees are not being helped at all. So I'm, th I'm thinking as you're talking, I remember in the very beginning of the Syrian crisis, the whole focus was to get Bashar al-Assad out of power. And after a while, the message changed, and it became about the refugees, and it became about the droves of migrations and the fallout it was having. I think it's the time right now to consider whether a change of message, without you know undermining the efforts made to restore democracy in Venezuela, a change of message to the global community where there is more consensus around refugees is really, it, its time has come. Not that changing the message got Bashar al-Assad out of power. There he is today, too. But It certainly got help to the refugees. That's the important thing. With that, thank you for joining us on Altamar. See you next time.